0: The clocks have gone back, the nights
1: are drawing in, but that doesn't mean there's not loads to enjoy in the garden over the next few months. For me, this time of year in the garden means clearing up, getting ready for spring and, best of all, and this is loads and loads of fun, going through the seed catalogues over and over, eventually get my order in and eagerly await the arrival of the seeds which I shall store under the bed nice and dry until next year and that's why i love this time of year it's a great time to plan ahead so that's why i wanted to get tips from a leading garden designer
2: along paths is a really good place to put scent so as you're walking to and from maybe the gate to the front door that's a really key journey probably daily where you can encounter and interact with scent
3: get inspiration from a wonderful winter garden with the leaves off the trees one really appreciates the bark and and its color and texture and i find that a very attractive part of the gardens
4: and to keep my house plants in check it's about knowing your individual environments within the room and what plants can tolerate those conditions
1: in this week's edition of gardening with the rhs i'm guy barter The darker months means it's time to focus our attention indoors and keep an eye on our houseplants. So, every month over the winter period, we're going to hear from one of our gardening advisors, James Lawrence. This month, he's going to tell us about the top things to be aware of as we head into winter.
4: So, November is a great month to start thinking about some general winter houseplant care. And we get asked lots of questions on RHS advisory service about how to care for houseplants over winter. A lot of the things we see come down to looking at some of the three kind of main elements of caring for houseplants, and that's water and watering, the light levels and heating issues within the house. One of the most common issues advisors see from members' questions are related to overwatering of houseplants over winter. Most plants will require some moisture through the winter, but a well-drained compost is also really beneficial. In spring and summer, when they're in active growth, they will often use more moisture and more nutrients to promote that growth. But in winter, as light levels drop and as the plant growth rates slow down, it's very easy to overwater your plants. If the compost is too wet, roots can start to rot and it can lead to other problems such as disease issues. A very common thing we see is where people have what's generally known as pot covers, so they water their plants, the water drains through the soil and then sits in the pot cover where it can't drain away. So if you're in that situation and you have what we call a decorative pot cover around your house plant, always good to come back to it 10 or 15 minutes later, see what how much water has drained through and, and empty that water out so that the roots at the bottom aren't sitting in that water permanently. Now obviously Different plants will have different requirements from a watering point of view so something like an indoor fern for example or a spider plant is likely to need a little more water than say a succulent or a cactus. So always check the individual plant requirements from a reliable source such as the RHS website or from reliable book sources. Additionally, some plants, things like some of the ferns, some orchids and things like spider plants will actually need a little humidity around their leaves. So rather than just watering the soil, having a tray that they sit in that's got some kind of gravel or clay pebbles so the water can drain out, but then the water will actually evaporate back up around the foliage and that helps keep the plants healthy. And then again, there are some plants like gardenias and some orchids that would actually benefit from use of rainwater, collected rainwater if possible, rather than tap water. In some areas, particularly people that have hard tap water, plants can sometimes show issues as a result of that. So the second thing I'd like to talk about regarding houseplant care over winter is the issue of light. And generally, we can break this down into four categories. Plants that might be in very strong light or full sun. And that's actually relatively unusual in a house, unless you've got something like a south-facing conservatory. And typically, these would be things that are getting strong light for 10 to 12 hours a day now. That's obviously not going to happen through the winter. Throughout the rest of the year, some plants like succulents, cactus, and other plants with adapted leaves, so they might have grey leaves or hairy leaves, they're very good at maintaining themselves in that hot and often slightly drier environment. What's much more common is called filtered sun. So that could be plants that are in a window that isn't directly south facing or in the winter months. It's just because there's getting less light because the day lengths are shorter. Most varieties of houseplants will kind of fall into this category in particular. Uh, lots of foliage plants that may have originated under canopy conditions so things like the parlor palm and the kentia palm for example slightly further back from the window or more into the room you've got light shade again some of those foliage plants are fine in in those conditions because they come from that kind of natural environment and then the most extreme is the kind of shadier situations which for most of us in households tends to be maybe places like hallways or rooms that have got small windows or for whatever reason limited light and again that like the other extreme that can be very difficult there's less choice but there are plants if you look such as aspidistras some ferns will cope with those more challenging and shadier locations and in winter, it might be a case that you might move plants. So with the plants that were maybe further back from the window in the summer months, because they didn't want to be in that direct hot light for that period of the day, they could perhaps be moved a bit closer to the window. So some people will move plants around to suit the environment and, and the light conditions. And then moving on to heat now, in winter, a lot of us will start putting on our central heating, for example. So there will be differences within the house. Maybe some rooms may be warmer than others. And some plants can cope with more variation in terms of temperature than others. So large temperature fluctuations generally are not good for a lot of house plants, um, particularly those that may come from kind of tropical regions. They prefer a fairly constant consistent temperature. So just think about where plants are positioned, generally drafty windows or near doorways that might be opening. Some plants will show signs of distress and we often see photographs and evidence of plants that have got environmental shock in winter because of those kind of conditions. So a little bit of research, again if that's the case you might just move those plants a little bit further back from the window, still well lit but not maybe in the draft. The other thing is just to be aware of close to heat sources, so radiators and fires and so on. It's about knowing your individual environments within the room and what plants can tolerate those conditions. James Lawrence.
1: James will be back next month when he'll talk all about the poinsettia. It's not just for Christmas, you know. Every so often we're going to feature stellar gardens from across the country that really flourish in the winter so that we can take inspiration into our own plots. At this time of year we can be treated to vivid colours, scrumptious scents and even bold bark to maintain interest on even the gloomiest late autumn days. Our first visit on the list is Whole Gardens in Cumbria. Their winter garden is well known for its scented plants, including the delightful Daphne Jacqueline Postle, which is the real star of the show. We spoke to Alan Oatway, chair of the Lakeland Horticultural Society, who looks after Holherd Gardens to learn more about what you can see
3: there in winter. So Holherd Gardens lie on a fellside slope, oriented to the southwest and they're some 500 feet above sea level. So altogether not the most obvious sight for a garden, somewhat exposed. But as the ground slopes away, the views across Windermere to the Lakeland Fells are absolutely fabulous, either in the ultra-clear light of a fine winter's day, or in the moodier atmospheric conditions of less sunny weather, which does happen from time to time. I think many of us consider this outlook as possibly the finest borrowed landscape of any UK garden. I should begin by concentrating on our winter border, which is home to a sizeable collection of herbaceous plants such as hellebore, pulmonaria and snowdrops. The snowdrop in particular that can be found there is S. arnot, which has distinctive honey-like scent. It's a cultivar that's repeated in various places, along with almost a hundred other cultivars of Galanthus. Those herbaceous plants shelter beneath a canopy that includes many perfumed shrubs in the winter time. So there are several varieties of witch hazel, such as pallidus diane and foxy lady there's a good specimen of viburnum ferrari and there are two cultivars of the paper bush edgeworthier chrysantha they're really sweet smelling as well moving to another area but to discuss a relative of the edgeworthier one of the most important plants at Wholeherd for many people is our specimen of Daphne Bellwer Jacqueline Postel, and this is growing just outside our walled garden, like the Edgeworthier. It's a plant that's used for paper making in the Himalaya, but its main interest at Wholeherd is from January to March when its pink flowers perfume the air for many, many metres in every direction, and people are drawn to it by that perfume. In the wintertime, there's a restricted colour palette. Other senses come to play, and we enjoy, all of us who garden there, we enjoy the textures that are perhaps more prominent, and also the perfumes. If we go back to the alpine houses for a moment, one of the very earliest primulas, and primula means first, pretty much, doesn't it? But the the true auricular primula auricular var albo uh, the yellow with a white eye, that really has a very delicate perfume, and so under the shelter of an alpine house and raised up to eye level it's quite easy to appreciate the the perfume of that all around the garden there are all of these shrubs that have been mentioned my favorite aspect of the garden would be the bark on the trees and that's an answer that can take me to almost every part of the garden It's the colour of some barks that's attractive, such as the white of the Himalayan birches or the pink of its Chinese cousin. There's the cinnamon bark of rhododendron thompsoniae and the shiny mahogany of the Tibetan cherry. And we also have the incredible texture of the paperbark maples. Our most mature specimen of Asa griseum is a wonderful multi-stemmed tree near the Cascade. And its rich, toned, flaking bark is a wonderful sight in the winter. Speaking of texture, on the bark reminds me of the contrasting barks of two trees close to each other on the meadow. Our magnificent tulip tree has raised ribs in the bark in an almost diamond-shaped arrangement. And then just the other side of of the driveway there... The deeply fissured texture of the bark of its neighbour, the walnut tree is a real contrast to that. So all around the garden with the leaves off the trees one really appreciates the bark and, and its colour and texture and I find that a very attractive part of the gardens. A good garden in winter has variety of shape and form. I think that winter allows you to really study that aspect of the garden and enjoy it for its own sake.
1: Alan Oatway. Whole Herd is an RHS partner garden, one of over 200 gardens across the country that offer free or discounted entry to RHS members. At this time of lockdown restrictions, the situation is often changing so please check with the garden you're visiting to ensure they're open and that the free or discounted entry applies. Meanwhile, all four RHS gardens remain open, but please do book before coming. For more information, go to rhs.org.uk slash podcast. What Alan said about scented surprises got me thinking. I want to know how I can include some wonderful smells in my garden. This led me to Flo Headlam. She's a garden designer and I spoke to her all about the best ways to get your garden smelling beautiful.
2: Scent is so evocative and it draws on memory, it draws on happy times and I think we all like to recreate a bit of that in our gardens. So for example I grew up in my family garden with a wild out of controlled summer jasmine and that smell I have loved and have taken right through my adult life and in fact in my last two gardens in my present garden I have planted one just because I want to recreate that emotion and that memory so I think for a lot of people it's like it's something that you want to bring back from your childhood Or it's maybe something more recent, a holiday in in a place where, you know, there was a scent that was just so evocative and just brings back so many memories. And I think that's why people want to do that, to sort of create mood, harmony, and, you know, that sense of well-being as well. I remember I used to sort of be quite obsessed about, oh, you know, what colours do you like? And then actually scent is really important. So we always have a discussion about what kind of smells they like and again just to sort of elicit what their connection with fragrance and memory and mood is i like to think about the different places where you might situate your scented plants so for example on a wall by the house so it's either sort of growing up the house over the doorway In and around the seating area, if, for example, you have a garden where you do a lot of entertaining, you know, that patio area is really key. And so having smells around that area really helps just kind of enhance the mood or just enhance your, your state while you're there. And then I think... Along paths is a really good place to put scents, so as you're walking to and from maybe the gate to the front door, that's a really key journey, probably daily, where you can encounter and interact with scent. And then walls, pergolas, any upright structures that you may want to cover and also just release fragrance. I think of those spaces in terms of where I would locate my scented plants. So. In terms of what you can do now, autumn is a great time actually for planting. So we're planting now for next year. Lots of hyacinths are really fragrant and we've got an increasing range of colors as well. So hyacinths are good ones for putting the iris reticulata, which is a very popular and very sweet small iris. They're really good to be planting now. And actually even just for your perennials as well, Autumn generally is a good time for planting because you can get them in, they can establish over the winter and then wake up in spring and they're ready to go. So now is a good time to be planning and thinking about what you are putting and getting it going. A starter for your fragrant garden, I would be planting some lavender because it's really, really popular, really easy to find in all garden centers. Uh, we go for some lavender, either planting in containers, which you can move around the garden, or just find a really good sunny spot. Lavender really needs full sun, grows in in all types of soil, but if you have heavy soil to so maybe putting some organic matter just to help break it up. I would plant a rose, actually. You can have patio roses, as well as putting in a climb or putting in a more shrub-type rose. My big discovery this year has been Nicotiana, the tobacco plant. A friend gave me a very small cutting, which I put in, and it's taken off. I mean, literally, day by day, it was growing. Beautiful evening scent, and it's such a bright white that actually it shines out in the dusk. I've really enjoyed that. I have a honeysuckle Graham Thomas, which is still going, just thriving and, and really doing well. In my garden, I also have a lot of ornamental grasses, actually, which are just turning sort of beautiful. I've got Panicum virgatum, which I'm a bit obsessed with. I can just see the colours changing, and with the winds that we're having at the moment, just the sort of amazing dynamic movement of the grass. I'm really enjoying. Flo headlam.
1: That's it for this week. If you'd like to learn more on anything you've heard about today, visit rhs.org.uk slash podcast. Until next time, from me, Guy Barter, it's goodbye. Thanks
0: for listening.